Thank you for joining us today on the Bayside Sermon Series podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Duckworth, Media and Technical Director here at Bayside. This week, we talk with Pastor Brian Pricer, and we are in Daniel chapter 10, The War in Heavenly Places. Thank you for joining us in our conversation today. All right, this week on the podcast, we have Pastor Brian Pryzer. He is the new campus pastor at Proving Ground. He has been here at Bayside as our uh, youth, well, you don't call it a youth pastor. What is the special term we call that here? Pastor of Student Ministries. Fancy, he, fancy, fancy title for the guy who hangs out with teenagers. And this week, we are in Daniel 10, studying the war in heavenly places. Now, we're doing things a little differently this week because we're recording the podcast before the sermon is preached. So we're going to do our best to stick to the sermon notes. But this also means that Brian has to stick to his notes when he preaches, or else this this podcast is going to be completely uh, different from, from what you hear on Sunday. So let's have a go with this. All right, Brian, it was great that Pastor Dave and Ken gave you a softball sermon to preach on your final week here at Bayside. Everyone loves to spend weeks preparing to publicly speak about angels and demons. I'm sure all your commentary resources agreed on what each part of chapter 10 meant. So why don't you give us a a quick overview of what chapter 10 is about? Yeah, so Daniel chapter 10, you know, Daniel has just gotten these visions of what's going to happen in the future in Israel. And his response uh, was mourning. So Daniel mourns for three weeks and Scripture tells us in Daniel 10 that he ate no delicacies, he ate no meat, he drank no wine, nor did he anoint himself at all, which means nor did he put on any lotions. So Daniel didn't bathe or wear deodorant for three weeks. Uh, And he spends this time in prayer. And uh, I don't know about you, Marcus, but for me, sometimes uh, when I spend a lot of time in prayer and I don't see any change, I begin to doubt, is God even listening? And I think that's what happens for Daniel. He, he's praying for three weeks. He feels empty. He feels lost. He might even feel re- abandoned or rejected by God. And he kind of gives up. But before you know it, there's this vision that happens. A man appears to him. The Bible says he is a man clothed in linen with a belt of gold, with legs of bronze and face that has the appearance of lightning and eyes of flaming torches, which is the exact same description we read later on in Revelation chapter 1 about Jesus. And so this man appears to him and tells him that pretty much that he needs to follow him, trust him. And a hand touches Daniel of an angel. And this hand tells Daniel that the reason why his prayer hasn't been answered yet is because there's been this battle. This battle in the spiritual realm between what's called in this verse, the prince of Persia and this angel. Then you see Michael, the archangel uh, mentioned here as the one who kind of helped uh, finish this battle off and saying that this battle had to take place in that realm in order for them to come to an answer to Daniel's prayers. And so in this passage, we get the glimpse behind the curtain, if you will, of what the spiritual realm kind of looks like. We don't get a lot of details. Um, in fact, we're actually given, we actually end with more questions than answers about it. Um, But it does remind us that there is this battle, this war in heavenly places beyond what we can see with our own eyes. And so that's kind of a gist of what we're going to be talking about or what we had talked about on Sunday. And uh, yeah, super excited. All right. So you titled the sermon War in Heavenly Places. So obviously our focus this week is spiritual warfare. 
which is a different kind of war because spiritual beings aren't fighting for land or for freedom. They're fighting over our souls. And in the notes, you mention that this war isn't talked about often in public. And when it is, uh, oftentimes the, the person talking looks like the guy on the History Channel Ancient Alien series. <laughs> um, I actually tried to Photoshop your face onto his head, and it, it didn't work out very well. Good. But, but <laughs> there is a resemblance. Thank you. Um, but Daniel 10 is a hard thing to understand, let alone be willing to talk about it in public. But Paul kind of gives us some insights, in, and I know it's in your sermon too, Ephesians 6.12. He's talking about these spiritual battles, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, if we reflect on this verse with spiritual eyeglasses for a moment, what would we see in like the in our in our regular life in like the political landscape, in the corruption in the government? And, and wars, like what's going on in Ukraine. If we're looking at the spiritual side of what's going on for the sake of our souls, what are we actually seeing when we look at those things? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, when you look at problems like war and you look at children with no food, disease, even COVID, um, you look at sex trafficking that people would take kids and women and men and and force them into this slavery. And a lot of people, especially non-believers, might look at that and say, well, because of that darkness, there's no way there's this good God. We see this darkness, and we know that the darkness in our world is a result of sin, that we live in a sinful, broken world. This is not the way that God designed the world to be. We learned that in Genesis chapter 3, right? When Adam and Eve eat that fruit that they're not supposed to eat, and sin enters in the world, and there's a separation, there's a distortion, there's a perversion of God's design for creation. So darkness becomes a problem for us. And we know through Christ, through a relationship with Jesus, we can overcome that darkness, that we're reconnected with God, we're new creations designed the way that God intended us to be. But that doesn't mean that the world around us isn't still dying. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die to save planet Earth. He didn't die to save America as an institution or, or as a country. He died for the souls of his creation, his humans. And so, so many of us look around and we say, well, if, if we just prayed more in schools or if we just had a Christian nation or if we just did more, then we wouldn't have all this darkness and all this sickness and all these problems. Now, would that help the situation? Maybe. But God's not here to save the earth in itself. The earth is dying. The, the people are dying. and Without Christ, they will continue to die. Um, and so when we, that's just what we see, right? You go behind the curtain, now you add spiritual influences. You add influences of, of the devil, of demons, of darkness. And there's no, there's no surprise that there's places um, and people like Adolf Hitler and Osama bin Laden and some of these these men and women that have come out of nowhere and led some of the most atrocious, disgusting things in the world. You can't look at those situations and say, well, there's, there's probably no evil influence um, or spiritual influence in it. Let's talk about this man that Daniel saw. Yeah. 
He describes the man as clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz. Is that close enough to what it works for me? Upaz uh, around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. In the sermon, you used a specific word for the man that he saw whom you believe to be a pre-incarnate form of Christ, uh, a Christophany. Can you tell us about that definition a little bit? Yeah, so Christophany is, we find that in the Old Testament. Christophany is when Jesus appears um, as the Son of God, appears to man outside of the timeline of the New Testament. So obviously New Testament, Jesus is born to Mary, there's Jesus walking on earth. But we have a few instances in the Old Testament where we see Jesus appear as the Son of Man uh, to, to mankind in human form. Um, and this is one of those moments. Right, and we, we talked uh, in previous podcasts, situations uh, like maybe possibly there in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, sure. Meshach, and Abednego. Hagar, there when she fled from Sarah, uh, she was met. And that's uh, where she gave God the special name, the God who sees. There's a few of those that do happen. So the fact that Daniel sees Jesus, I think, will play a bigger part in the next few chapters of the book. And we'll talk about chapters 11 and 12 in a little bit, but that's, that's where it's heading. We're, we're going to see uh, some of this future stuff play out where it, it's important that we understand that Jesus is a part of those things. Mm. Now... One of the, the big things you talk about in your introduction is you use a lot of theatrical imagery, and I really appreciate those things. So one of the, the reasons we watch TV and movies and theatrical productions is to be transported away from our lives, and a good storyteller can make the viewer feel a part of their story. In the chapter, we read that Daniel prayed for 21 days. He was mourning for his people, and he was fasting as well which means that he was conditioning his heart uh, and his mind to rely on God to sustain him for those three weeks. Fasting, it looks different for everyone. Technically, this is the time of year where uh, a part of the faith will practice Lent, and Lent is a form of fasting. I don't know if you have any personal experience with fasts. Um, I have, I think the most I've ever lasted was a three-day fast. Uh, and that was fruit juice only, um, just to, to keep energy up, to, to keep up, because I still had kids and, and work and everything else. Any particular fast that you, you've done? Yeah, I, not uh, probably about the same as you. My fasts have been very fast. <laughs> they don't last too long. I think it's a great discipline to have. Um, I think it's an awesome thing to do. And I know some people fast from other things, you know, oh, I'm fasting from social media, I'm fasting from something or the, or the other. I think the important thing is, is when you remove something from your schedule and you replace that with God, you mm -hmm. replace that with intentionally seeking God, um, how much of a difference does that make? So much of a difference. So maybe, maybe fasting doesn't work for you for eating food because of your dietary problems or your lifestyle. But, you know, instead of sitting on your phone for an hour every morning while your kids are getting ready and scrolling through Instagram. What does it look like to take that time and actively seek God? Now, a part of this fast, he was talking about, he said he had no delicacies, no sweets, 
He had no meat, no wine, and, and then no bathing. But besides from the not bathing, Daniel's fast is very much like the one that we remember from chapter 1 of the book of Daniel, um, which, is, which is a very nice callback because if we remember Daniel chapter 1, he's being forced to eat the food that he, he's deemed to be unclean, that the king is trying to make him eat. But God blesses him in this restricted diet that he asked to be put on. The same thing uh, happens here where Daniel is, is strengthened just enough to get through these 21 days. But something I find a little bit strange is that in verse 1 of chapter 10, it's written in the third person. And then verse 2 goes back into being written in the first person. And I'm not, I'm not a, an English major or a writer, but what do you think happened here? What's, what's, what's going on? Why third person and then first person? Any speculation? <laughs> uh, no, I, I didn't even notice that until you said it. So now you've got me on the ball here looking over it. Um, yeah, I don't know. And even using his I Babylonian Dan- name. I mean, Daniel was getting pretty old by the time he wrote this. And so he could have been a little little loose there in the head but um no do you have any speculations maybe someone else was helping him that that first little bit because again using the name belshazzar sure instead of calling himself daniel it could have been uh, one of the men that we later read about who left him when the the man in linen appeared so he wasn't alone but he like you said he's getting old and his hands probably aren't as steady sure so someone else was was probably holding the pen for there for a little bit. So this battle that we're we're going to get into the next couple of chapters, uh, it reminds me a lot of a book by C.S. Lewis. Now C.S. Lewis wrote more than just about Narnia. He also wrote uh, one of the books called The Screw Tape Letters, and The Screw Tape Letters is a very different style of book. Uh, for those that are not familiar, this book is written from the perspective of an elder demon instructing a younger demon on how to best wage uh, wage a spiritual war with the patient. And, and that is uh, what Lewis is calling the, the human that the demon is assigned to. When I've read commentaries on, on Lewis's approach, it was very hard for him because he had to get into the mental space of being a demon. and. At the end of the book, he actually had a, he wrote a reprisal, uh, an add-on several years later after the first run of the publishing, because it did so well, of Screwtape's acceptance speech in hell for how good of a job he had been doing. <laughs> and just the emotional toll it took on him to write this, it, it, it left a permanent mark on him. One of the, the interesting quotes... Uh, says that there is nothing like suspense and anxiety for barricading a human's mind against the enemy. He, the enemy, wants men to be concerned with what they do. Our business is to keep them thinking about what will happen to them. Now again, in this case, uh, from the perspective of the demon, the enemy is God. But suspense and anxiety... Those are the two biggest influencers used to manipulate sheeple. That's, that's what I call people who, what Isaiah calls, we like sheep have all gone astray. So I call sheeple, um, just a, a fun little way of combining those words. We are manipulated into doing all sorts of things and believe half-truths, 
and flat-out lies. Things like, don't vote for that person, they're of the devil. You can't trust the guy next door, I'm sure he's stalking me. And the church has been using these practices as well. You can't treat that sinner with the same level of grace because their sin is far worse. That guy doesn't believe the same thing as us, so he can't be a true Christian. We remember what the Spanish Inquisition was? <laughs> yeah. Anxiety. Fear. But what does God's word say? In Psalm 46, he says, He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And this, the psalmist is quoting uh, inside the, the psalm here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that is a hard thing to get around our heads when we're being so heavily bombarded with thoughts of what's next. We just came through a, a pandemic and we're not all the way through, but every time, oh, there's another variant. All these fears, people get triggered about, you know, what, what the last few years have been about. But that's not what God wants for us. Mm. Look at this passage today. Daniel is so distraught because he has no idea what's next. He has an idea of what it could be. And look, isn't that us? Like, we always go to the worst possible conclusion. Oh, uh, something's wrong with my car. Well, I guess that means I'm going to need a whole new transmission. Something's wrong with my house. Oh, I guess that means we're going to have to call the insurance company. Um, something's wrong with my marriage. Oh, I guess that means one of us is messing around. Daniel automatically defaults to the worst. And the fact of the matter is that God was working to answer his prayers behind the scenes. And that's kind of what we get into when we get to the conclusion of this message is that what God is doing behind the curtain is something that, one, we can't always see, and two, we really can't ever understand. The different things that he has to put into play, the certain things that he has to allow us to endure or to remove from our life so that we can be positioned to receive the best thing that he has from us. And as humans who want to be in control, who want to be our own God, who want to be the ones calling the shot, we have to humble ourselves and trust that God's ways are going to be better than our ways, that his plans are going to be better than our plans, but most importantly, that the outcome is going to be what God wills it to be. And that's hard. Because especially as American Christians, we're conditioned to not trust anybody. That everyone in authority is trying to get something for themselves. That even though they say they're there for you, they're really not there for you. They're only, they're only saying that because it's their job. But I don't know what communicates being there for you more than giving up your only son to die a death he didn't deserve for you. Um, and so that that's our hope, right? Yeah. And several times the angel addresses Daniel as the man who is loved. Yeah. To reassure him, this is scary stuff that we're going to talk about, but God loves you. Yeah. And that and that's something that we can cling to as well because um so many of us will will go to God in anger or disapproval in the midst of a, a crisis, you know. You, you get a diagnosis that you weren't expecting. Um, you have a situation that happens that you, you had no idea was coming. And 
to remind you, well, this this these times are bad, but God is still good. That that's the perspective we have to take in order to endure it. Um, because the enemy wants to do whatever he can to dismantle that idea. Well, God doesn't really love you. If he if he loved you, why would he let this happen to you? Well, you're a good Christian. You go to church every Sunday, you serve on the tech team, you, you show up on time, your kids are in Sunday school, you give, and this is how God rewards you. Remember, following Jesus doesn't mean that everything in your life is going to go well. I heard one preacher say one time that every time a person comes to faith in Jesus, they're shooting an arrow into the enemy's camp. Um, There's a target on the back of a believer because the enemy knows he can't stop you now. God's got you. You're saved. You're sealed, but he can slow you down. He can discourage you. He can do whatever he can to distract you from doing and becoming all that God has wanted you to be. But reminding yourself of who, and, and reading the scriptures to remind you of who you are in Christ, that you are loved by God, even in the middle of your situation, even in the middle of when things don't make sense or things aren't going the way they should be, you are loved by God, that he's there for you, that he's with you, that you're not alone. That will dismantle the lies of the enemy. And one of the things that, comes across in the the screw tape letters is that the demons don't know who's saved and who's not right and so when they see you doing things that are for the enemy they will work harder because they don't know if it's going to work or not in the yeah. end so they're going to give everything that they can to to make it difficult for you Another point that you made about the timeline of this vision was the year of 536. So what was important about that year? Yeah, so 536 BC, BC of course, uh, was the year that the exile had ended from Babylon. So the Jewish people were exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon for 70 years. Over 50,000 people would go back to Jerusalem in 536 BC, but Daniel wasn't one of them. Daniel was stuck in Babylon. And and maybe it's because Daniel was of old age, like we said before, you know, he was taken into Babylon when he was a teenager. And now this is 70 years later. It's a little bit of math. Daniel is in his mid 80s. He's in Babylon. It, it might be that he wasn't, didn't have the energy or the supplies to make the journey. Or it could be that God had said to them, hey, I, I have more work for you to do here. But Daniel's not in the best place. He's not, he just spent 70 years in crisis. I mean, we spent two, two and a half, depending on who you ask, uh, through the pandemic crisis. 70 years? Are you kidding me? That's a generation of people that have been displaced um, from where they called home. That that takes a toll on someone. Yeah. And I think it helps that, that Daniel stays with Darius because Darius is still in charge of Jerusalem. Yeah. And and having Daniel there, I I think is is a way to help the people that go back stay safe. Yeah. Uh so I I think there was a, a good reason God did not choose to redeploy him elsewhere. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. So when it comes to the spiritual realm, what are the things that we are sure about? Yeah. You, you talked in your sermon about some of these points. Yeah, so there's there's so much about the spiritual realm that people will speculate. You have all kinds of self-proclaimed experts and people that read uh, other things, people that get sucked into 
some of the horror films that are maybe uh, made out there, The Exorcist and some other things, and they assume, well, if it's on TV, it must be real. <laughs> and we know that's not the case um, oftentimes. Um, but there are things that we can be sure about. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this, Marcus, that a prayer of believers, the prayers of believers are immediately heard by God. Not immediately answered, immediately heard. And that's such a comfort for me. I, I know there's people listening to this podcast right now who have been praying for their son or their daughter to come to faith for years. And they haven't seen any fruit. And they haven't seen any change. And they may even begin to think, does God even hear me? But this scripture shows us that our prayers are immediately heard by God. But why doesn't God act immediately? Why isn't it like the genie in the bottle that we have our three wishes and they just happen right away? That's something we don't really have the answer to. Could it be that there's this spiritual battle behind the scenes that we can't see? Sure. Could it be that other things need to happen first? Sure. But we can take comfort in knowing that God is never too busy to hear us. You don't call heaven and get the busy tone, right? You don't get pushed to do not disturb. God immediately hears our prayers. The second thing is that unseen spiritual warfare may at times delay our answers to God. It's kind of what I just talked about. What if there's something behind the curtain? What if there's a spiritual battle going on that needs to take place in order for that answer to happen? It, we ha that's something we have to trust in God's hands. That's not something that we can figure out on our own. But I believe this is most likely to happen when we pray about God's work here on earth. We pray for our loved ones to be saved. We pray for God to work in those countries that are that are closed off to the gospel. There's a lot of spiritual warfare that happens behind the scenes because we're trying to invade the enemy's territory. And Satan hates this kind of praying because it's a direct attack on him. And he's not going to give up those souls without a fight. So th there's a whole spiritual dynamic to it. The next thing we talked about is that wrestling in prayer is exhausting work. When you pray, it's easy to say, God, bless me for my family. Thank you for this food. In Jesus' name, amen. But that's hardly the kind of prayer that will cause Satan to, tr to tremble. Over the past seven years as, as youth pastor here at Bayside, a prayer that we would pray almost every single week was we pray that there would be students that would lead their teachers to Christ and students that would lead their parents to Christ. That's a bold prayer for a student in a public school district to somehow lead their teacher to faith in Jesus Christ. We didn't pray that to be idealistic. We prayed that because we believed God would do it. But the enemy hates that idea. How dare you go where I've put up things that would say, oh, no, you're not allowed here. How dare you would use a pimple-headed teenager to try and reach people for Jesus. Those prayers are exhausting. And they come with spiritual warfare. The next thing. If we could see the invisible, we would be amazed at the forces of good and evil around us. I wonder what it looked like in the spiritual realm at Ground Zero on 9-11. Was it demons rejoicing? Was it angels protecting? 
there's so many stories of people that were pulled from the, the rubble to turn around and not see their rescuer. Did angels intervene in those situations? You see the story of Elisha where he's standing and sees the armies of the enemies and he cry, the army of their enemy coming to defeat them. And he cries out, what shall we do? And Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are around them. And he asks God to open up his eyes. And when he opened up his eyes, he sees into, he sees behind that curtain. He sees these flaming chariots of the army of God. Have you ever been going home from work, Marcus? And have like a weird feeling that you should go a different way? Or you're driving anywhere. And, oh, you know what? I'm going to take the long way today. Or I'm yep. going to take the parkway today because I want to get there faster. Yep. Simple things like I missed that light or something happened at home that kept me from leaving at the time that I needed to. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder, is that a detour intentionally placed in your path by God? Is it that driving the other way home that avoided you from being in an accident that would have took your life? It, those are the questions that we'll never know the answer to on this side of eternity. But if only we knew what was going on around us, man, it would change the way that we live. If we just had one second that we could truly see with the eyes of God, we would see around us a multitude of supernatural beings, both angels and demons all around us. But you know what? I'm happy we can't. Because if we could, man, we wouldn't be able to understand half of what's going on. We would fear things we shouldn't fear. But we would also see the hand of God work in ways we couldn't have imagined. The last thing that I, that I know that we can be sure of is that the chief weapons of our spiritual warfare are humility, prayer, knowledge, and perseverance. Those four things are our chief weapons. That we can humble ourselves before God. That we have the power of prayer to, to call upon Jesus. That we know what the word of God says. And most importantly, that we persevere. That we keep moving forward. Exodus 14.14 14 says, The Lord your God will fight for you. You need only to be still. If we walk humbly before God, if we seek his face in prayer, if we trust the word of God, we will persevere in faithfulness no matter how tough the times may be. And I believe in this next generation of Christians where there's wars, and Scripture says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There's pandemics. There's governments. There's economy problems. There's an issue with racial tension. There's an issue with the definition of family. It feels as if everything around us that maybe Christians stand for or, or fight for are falling apart. And I wonder if what we need to do is start to have Christians fight for Jesus, fight for the gospel, that that is our main thing that we stand on. That we are men and women that are humble, because sometimes Christians are the least humble people out there. That we are men and women of prayer, that we pray for those who persecute us, that we pray for our president, that we pray for our mayor, that we pray for the people in power that maybe we don't agree with, that we know our Bibles, but most importantly, that we persevere. At the end of the message on Sunday, we talked about what it means to never give up. Do we feel like quitting? Well, we don't want to give up. Do we, or, or, or do we keep praying? Well, don't give up. Because the reality of it is, as Christians, we have a hope that when all of this is over, 
when we no longer have to fear sickness or disease, when there's no more wars or violence, where there's no more addiction or abuse or, or recession or poverty, and there's no more hunger, all those things that we don't have to fear losing anything anymore, that we will be standing in the presence of God and we are guaranteed to be standing on the side of victory. Amen. If Christians would live like that now, don't get caught up in, oh, is there a demon under every rock? Is the angel going to come and help me? Listen, listen, listen. The best help that you can get from heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. I've met so many people that have prayed to angels and asked angels to recognize them, but they will not recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of their own life. Once you know Jesus, you are in the best spiritual place you could ever be. Super Christians don't get more angels. <laughs> Bad Christians don't get more demons trying to hurt. It's not how it works. A relationship with Jesus is the spiritual conditioning that you need. That is where you need to be. So don't get caught up in the spiritual realm and trying to understand things that maybe in our own minds we can't understand. Be sure of those five things we talked about today. And remember that your chief weapons for spiritual warfare are humility, prayer, knowledge, and perseverance. And as we were talking about the things we're unsure about, the key takeaway that we had there was where we draw the line for looking for that understanding. And, and that's God's word. Yeah. That we don't go looking outside of the Bible for trying to define what the Bible is. God was, was very clear. It says there at the close of Revelation, those who add to this, the, there's consequences. You take away from this, there's consequences. So reading the Bible for what it is, when it speaks, then, then, then that's where we look for uh, assurance in what it says. I, I, so many people, especially working with teenagers, will get their theology of angels and demons from what they might see in Hollywood, in movies, even in music nowadays. The idea that hell is a fun place where we can party and hang out with our friends is a complete distortion of the reality of it being total separation and torture forever. The, the idea that heaven is for goody two-shoes and it's this precious moments kind of thing is, again, opposite of what we see in Scripture. The problem I see is when you get Christians that will blend the two. Well, the Bible says this, and I don't know much more about that, so what else is out there? It has to be true. If God has given Satan power to rule earth, to be this be his dominion, then a majority of what's out there outside of the word of God is going to be influenced by him. So it's going to make hell look better, heaven look boring, demons look friendly, angels look invisible because they're going to try to claim they're not anything there. Oh, it's cool to experiment with witchcraft and the occult. It's nothing if a couple kids decide to mess around with Ouija boards or uh, tarot cards. It's just fun. It's just plaything. Recognizing that the more that that is normalized in culture, um, the more one-sided our perspective of what the spiritual realm might actually be. Scary situation when you get students who claim that they can 
experiment with things of spiritual nature because they feel that they'll get the instant gratification they desire. Remember, our souls are designed, our, our soul and spirit is designed to reconnect with heaven, to reconnect with God. And sadly, some will take any kind of spiritual influence as good, um, and that's not the case. All right, we have two weeks left in the book of Daniel. Usually the guest gives a brief summary of the next chapter. Chapter 11, you have anything for us? You know, I think whoever's preaching next week is going to do a great job <laughs> at that. Um, I, I just encourage you guys to stick around for the next two weeks because chapter 10 is really the prologue. 11 and 11 is going to be the main uh the main body of the story and 12 is your conclusion. So what we're learning this week is going to set us up um, for what happens with Daniel in chapter 11 here and, and ultimately bring us to a conclusion that I think will, will encourage you guys. All right. Next week you join the staff at proving ground. Looking back on your years at Bayside, anything stand out as an amazing moment where you felt God's hand on you? Wow. What a question. Um, yeah, it's, it's a crazy spot to be, you know, when I was in undergraduate degree at Liberty University in Virginia and uh, going down there to be a graphic design major and God saying, nope, we're going to do something different. I made two conditions with God. I said, well, I will, uh, I'll do ministry, but I won't move back to New Jersey and I won't move back to the church I grew up in. And over the next four years, God made a way for me to move back to New Jersey and back to serve the church I grew up in um, as a youth pastor. Uh, it has been the most rewarding seven years so far in my life. Being able to minister to students that are literally walking the same school hallways that I walked, that are hanging out in the same places I hung out in, has just been an honor. This past week, we had our last youth meeting and a couple of alumni came in, students that have graduated, you know, two, three, four, five years ago. And just hearing from them how Bayside had impacted them so much as a teenager has helped shape their faith and the way that they live. Um, those are things I'll cherish forever. Uh, I'm excited because I've been able to see so many students become volunteers, become people who are active and serving in the church. And so... Um, that multiplication process that sometimes we talk about in church leadership where you want to try to raise up and disciple people to to grow the kingdom. And um, seeing that is is one of the coolest things. Seeing awkward teenagers turn into confident men and women who seek after God, um, those are things I can never replace. Wonderful. So that's going to wrap our episode today. I know God is going to bless you, Brian, in this new adventure that he's placed you in. Uh, you will be sorely missed here, but uh, Lakehurst is not very far away. And it sounds like with our new One Vision program, we will have a lot more of plan and intentional ideas come together through the three churches. And it, it's going to be a very short time before we see you again. Thank you to our listeners for joining in our conversation today. And have a blessed week.